Welcome to the Buds and Seats Podcast, episode number 77. I'm Nick, alongside Emily. Woo. Emily, how you doing today? Fucking tired, man. <laughs> Emily, what is it we do here at the show? Well, Nick, we take a look at the week-by-week downfall of WCW in the late 90s and now 2000. I know, it, it, it throws me off every time I'm like typing notes or saving files. I'm like, it's not that anymore. No. Today, we'll be talking about... WCW sold out 2000, the last one, because they do a whole different naming structure for next year. Why? <laughs> Rebranding. Stupid. Because, you know, the issue of why they're not getting pay-per-view buys is, is the names, obviously. Definitely. It's, it's not anything else. Definitely not. Speaking of, this is the first post-Russo pay-per-view, right? Yes. Ooh. Like, uh, two days removed. They're still actually trying to get him back and be like, no, 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 like, work is part of the group. They're trying to hire him back? Well... They didn't fire him because he has a contract where they kind of like can't fire him, but they can just say, okay, you go home. You're still going to get paid, but have nothing to do with the show. Because technically speaking, they want him on the booking committee and he goes, I don't want to be on a committee. And they're like, well, you can go home then. But he still gets paid. Yeah. I I don't see the downside here. It's a shit show and you're getting paid for it and you don't have to be part of it. Like, why not just take that money and run? Because you're not going to get hired anywhere else afterwards when the last thing you did was that. He was never going to have an illustrious future anyway, so just take the money where you can get it. Well, he did have an illustrious future ahead of him in WWF, and then he went, no. Yeah, he already made the bad choices. You're already reaping your consequences. Just take the money and go hole up somewhere for the rest of your life. So we're going to talk about most of the -the behind-the-scenes drama at the end of the show. Oh, okay. Just because it... A lot of the stuff happens in the upcoming weeks afterwards, so to me it makes more sense to kind of do all the chat then rather than do the sporadic chat, na- do a little bit of chat now and then after. And sure. The main points to take away is that of the five people that we're going to be talking about, none of them know that they have wrestled their last match for WCW by the night's end. Damn. Which is kind of disappointing for at least one of them. Like, maybe if he knew, yeah. things would have changed. Well, not talking about the how, let's start with a goodbye to Eddie Guerrero, because he is nowhere on the show. He's not. So I guess he's done-done. Yeah, we said a couple weeks ago, yeah, he had like a final match on Nitro, and like he might be a little banged up, and they they just had him appear a couple times afterwards. I don't even remember what his last match on Nitro was. I think it was him against like Billy Kidman. I honestly don't remember. I'm sure it was a good match. Yeah. It's probably great. It probably gave the best bit. I don't know. Outside of bonus episodes, we have no more Eddie Guerrero matches. He is somebody who, from when we started the podcast, he had a big role. He was the leader of the LWO, Mm -hmm. and then he got into that car accident. Mm -hmm. He came back and was like a nothing babyface on commentary for like that one. Oh, yeah. I forgot he was on commentary. And yeah, I think like Eric Bischoff was on commentary too. And he was like, I want to thank you so much, sir, for like keeping me under contract and doing whatever. In kayfabe, the, the NWO took him out, if you remember. Hoovy had an interview with me and Gene, and he's like, they got Eddie, man. Oh, yeah, that was when he was, like, running through the parking garage, wasn't yeah. it? Oh, yeah, that was weird. Yeah, he came back then and joined the Filthy Animals and didn't... He didn't really do much with the Filthy no, Animals, did he? Not really. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's the problem when, with a, a lot of the guys who are leaving today, it's like, yeah, they kind of feuded with each other for a while, and... They haven't done much for the last, like, six months or so. Honestly, thank God that Eddie goes to WWF and, like, has a good run there. Because I don't feel like we saw a lot of good Eddie wrestling in WCW. I don't think you remember that 
Eddie gets fired for a while. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. But he has like a good run eventually. Yeah. Like, yeah. There is like a good time for him in, WC- in WWE. Yeah. His second e. run, 2002 on. Is... I think that's when it's E. So WWE. Yeah. It, it's. I think he gets hired like right around one of those days where it changes. So I. <laughs> Get the F out. <laughs> yeah. It, it's either one. but Regardless. He, yeah. Eddie Guerrero, very well-known WWE career. Um, Lesser known WCW career. Did he have a good career in WCW prior to when we started watching? Yes. Okay, so we just came in at a bad time for him. I mean, you could sense that things were on the up for him leading the LWO, and then he just got hurt at the wrong time. Hmm. And then, yeah, and then they and didn't... And then never really healed. But I feel like you can see everything that makes him special and makes him kind of beloved mm-hmm. in, like, the more kind of beta stages in, here in WCW. Oh, it's the charisma. Yeah. It's not some, like, in WCW, he really hones in the charisma. He's not so much the in-ring, because we didn't see him in the in-ring as much. Like, we did some, but not as much. But he was still a good backstage character. He still had the good, like, promos and the relationships. Like, it's more than just in-ring work that makes you a good wrestler. Yeah. But his presence is definitely one that's going to be missed in terms of in-ring work. I mean, there's not a lot left to lean on. Yeah. (laughs) Especially after the crop that's leaving tonight. Yes. That, and that's a big problem. Uh-huh. So before we get into the actual show, let's talk about the buy rate a little bit just to get a sense of how bad things really are. <laughs> Last year's sold out did 330,000 buys. Last month's Starcade did 145,000 oh buys. Oh my god. Emily, what did this show do? 100,000. 115. Okay, close. God. Just for scale, 98 did 380,000 and 97 did 170,000. Wow, so that's a real like curve. Yeah, it it spiked and then it spiked back down. Well, I think the 170 was an outlier for the time. Yeah. Because that was the NWO pay-per-view. Oh, and so when it's the heel, yeah, when it's the heel group that uh, she does not make an appearance on the show. I know. When it's the heel group who's known for having all their matches end in screwy finishes, hey, let's sell a whole pay-per-view based on that. Wait, sold. why didn't people buy it? I don't understand why it wasn't sold out. <laughs> oh, you didn't mean you didn't think we meant S O L D. It's the soul. It's the soul. We're sold out. Yeah, that that's that screams Eric Bischoff. That's why all the NWO um, stuff is in spray paint, so they can just add the U yeah. and they didn't sell it out. Like, oh shit. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is sold out 2000, live from Cincinnati, Ohio, on January 16th, 2000. We get the opening pyro and commentary check-in. Tony Schiavone. pyro. Did you notice that? That felt like a lot of pyro. Yeah, it, it's a pay-per-view. I, feel I like don't know. Going They're on. pyro budget. Commentary tonight is Tony Schiavone, Mike Tanay, and Bobby the Brain Heenan, I believe, for the last time on pay-per-view. He's just as sassy. He's like, I can talk too. I don't know for a fact this is the last pay-per-view, but... He's done being on Nitro in a few weeks. God, so we're losing so many so. people. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of people that won't be here, they also announce who won't be here. Yes. They they announce that the main event is now Sid Vicious versus Chris Benoit for the vacant title. The reason it's the two of them is because Bret Hart and Jeff Jarrett both have concussions. And they show the clips that caused them. Which I thought was an odd choice. Yeah. They flat out show the Goldberg kick and go, that's the one. Yeah, I find that to be an odd choice. Yeah, I, I kind of came off tasteless. And it did. Sh- it, was, it was shitty being like, yep, it's... It's it, this guy's fault. Yes. This man did this. 
it was just, it was really shitty. It was very much like I don't care about my wrestlers. Did they maybe think that like Bret Hart was faking? Like I no, don't know. I, Did they think that he was gonna come right back and be fine and be like, oh well, it wasn't that bad. Well, the one thing to keep in mind is that Bret knows he's gonna be missing some time. Bret doesn't know he's retiring yet, mm-hmm. and I don't really know when Bret knows, but. He went to the doctor like, you have a concussion, you can't, like, it, and it's bad, you shouldn't be working out, you shouldn't be flying, like, shouldn't be traveling, like, mm-hmm. stop being a wrestler. Yeah. So, I don't know how much Brett knows he's done now. I think what that is, is them trying to build towards an eventual Bret Hart-Goldberg match, because... Maybe. That's what they've been setting up for before... Goldberg smashes arm and is going to miss four months. But then why did they do that for Jarrett and Benoit? Because they also showed the the hit from Benoit and Jarrett. Yeah, because in their brain, they're going to go back to Benoit and Jarrett the first chance they can. So this, you think that all of this is just a, a way to build a, um, a feud? Yes. I think it's a bad look. I still think it's pretty tasteless. I think it's... Even if that's true. I think it's bad in hindsight. I don't think on the on the night it's as bad. And also, I'm pretty sure that Jimmy Snook is the one who hurt Jeff Jarrett, but they showed the Benoit move, which is kind of... Yeah, even... Which, which is the reason why I think it's, oh, like, maybe. story. Even during that match, during that cage match, you said, like, oh, yeah, Jarrett gets concussed here, and we were trying to figure out where it was. And I think you you even pointed out, like, it's it's this cage dive. Th- that's what Jarrett says. But before we move on with commentaries stuff, because they have a long diatribe here, uh, that's pretty much the only mention of Bret Hart we get, so... Let's let's say goodbye to Brett as well. Jeez. Bret the, Hart's a tough one. Yeah. Bret Hart's like a heartbreaking one. No pun intended. I look I did look into this. We've given him MVP more than anybody else. Yeah. I think I believe that. Yeah, it's it's by a good bit, I wanna say. And the craziest thing about that is he missed a lot of time. Well, I, if I remember correctly, I think the reason that you and I at least me, the reason that he was given MVP so much is he was consistently the only one on the card that was not fucking around. Yeah. He was not doing the stupid gimmicks. He was not doing the dumb storylines. He was getting in the ring and wrestling a quality match. But he was like the only one doing that. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to give it to the guy who's actually doing his job well. I'm not going to give it to Buff Bagwell for coming down and just dancing a little bit. Yeah, start of the podcast, Brett is already banged up. And this is a man that's like perpetually injured. Yeah, we um, he had some good fun with that. The, the phrase "nutty <laughs> people got groins" is uttered a lot in this house. <laughs> it really is. Got a groin injury, the likes of which you've never seen. Nutty <laughs> people <laughs> got groins. Good old L Dandy. Who are you to doubt L Dandy? I mean, literally, I think you can go back to our 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 bitsies, and yeah. I think. You know, of of the 10 we gave out, I know there were a couple of repeats. I think he appeared in more than five of them. I'm pretty sure that that Doubting Old Andy promo is like something we gave an award to. Yeah, I, I think that was in that yeah, 10. Yeah, probably. I think both of us put the the Owen Hart tribute match. Yeah. I think I put that. I don't know if you did. And the Still Played segment. Was he like the, the overall? Did we do like an overall MVP? Like MVP we, of the year? We did. And you know, the funny thing is we didn't. We didn't give it I, I don't to him? Th- I don't think either of us gave it to him. I think I gave mine to DDP just because he was around more. I don't remember who I gave Brett mine Brett was to. gone for so long. Yeah. I don't remember who I gave mine Brett to. was gone for like almost six months. That's like a blessing and a curse with this podcast for me is I have goldfish brain. Yeah. So like as soon as we stop recording, I forget what I said. And then I can listen to the episode when Nick puts it out. And I'm like, oh yeah, that was my opinion. <laughs> no, do you find yourself having the same opinion or are you like, oh, that, that's some I shit. I generally I mean. agree with myself. There are a couple of times where I'm like, mm, bad take. <laughs> <laughs> 
but Bret Hart is really done wrestling. I I don't. It might be insulting to the man, but I would not call his WWE run in 2010 wrestling when you were legally not allowed to take a bump. Yeah, that's not wrestling. Y- yeah. No, I agree. And Bret's somebody who, for better or worse, kind of can't phone it in. In my opinion, he's not good at phoning it in. That's for sure. That's the thing. Like it. It has to be all yeah, out or nothing. Yeah, exactly. He either cares and will do a great job or they'll have him show up and be like, you're like the Mexican Bret Hart and you don't buy a word, he says. Mm-hmm. I, I think of all the people that, that we're saying goodbye to, I think he's the one by far that is going to leave the biggest hole. Yeah, I think I agree. And admittedly, we've seen half of his WCW run. That's he, true because he did a lot of stuff before we started watching. Well, he showed up at Starcade 97. And then he, like, didn't do much. I'm saying what we saw was half his whole run. And, yeah, it it does feel like a waste of Bret Hart, the way they used him. Yeah. I still don't know how I feel about the fact that you have a man who overcame all this, like, real-life adversity. And then you turned him heel within, like, two months of being back. I mean, he would have been such a beautiful, powerful face. And yeah. he was such a good face. I think Bret Hart as a heel is not a good use of him. Like, as a character work, I don't think he's a good heel. Yes, and, and I'm, I <laughs> we're currently doing a new watch through of uh, Raw 97 to basically... The entire goal is me going, no, he's good as a heel, look! <laughs> no, we're watching Raw as, like, palate cleansing wrestling at this point. Yeah. For the record, we are one raw away from Sean losing his smile. Oh my god! So last night we watched a um we watched a match from Backlash. Uh, I can't remember what year it was, but it, but it was Scotty Too Hotty versus I want to say Batista, but that's wrong. Versus Batista, I know. <laughs> it was Scotty Too Hotty versus Di Malenko, and the crowd was so hot for that match. It was so intense of a pop, and Nick and I just kind of looked at each other. We're like. Man, people really love wrestling. We haven't seen that at WCW. It's like it's like three months after this. (laughs) The man is doing the worm in the ring, and everyone is losing their goddamn mind. And we're like, this is literally the same time frame as we're watching in WCW, and we get none of that, none of that energy. It hurts. Anyway, Bret Hart. Any uh, any final thoughts on Bret? I'm sad to see him go, but I'm honestly I'm kind of happy for him. Like. Per, like as a personal journey to get out of the ring i think he needs to stop wrestling for a while like if i was his therapist i'd tell him to stop i'd tell him to like take a break go rediscover yourself learn who you are mourn your brother a little more because i don't think he did that enough be with your family yeah just stop take take a breather because he doesn't know that this is his retirement like i'm going to go in with that kind of mentality of like he's just taking a break and i think it's a good time for him to take a break it sucks that he's retiring like i can't sugarcoat that at all that sucks yeah, he spent some time healing, and I. It, it's one of those where like he might have been able to come back, and then, one, the other place he can kind of go is WWF, and he doesn't really want to do that. No. And then, like, mid-2002, he suffers a stroke, and it's like, that, that that's fully it for him. That guy has had such a hell of a life. Yeah, I think, like, shortly around that time, like, while he's recovering, like, his dad dies. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. I do want to read his memoir. I'm sure yeah. that it's very biased and... Like, a wrestling book, but I do want to read a memoir by him. Well, that's the one plus of uh, saying goodbye to these guys, that if they have a book or whatever, like... I can read it! Yeah. Hey! 
So commentary is still talking, and I mean that in the sense that this segment went forever. They might have still been going well, if we hit play at the start of this. I mean, there were so many changes. Like they kind of had to run through the whole roster to like be like, okay, here's where we're at. Here's all the matches. Like, we're all on the same page now. So the U.S. title is vacated, but they're going to undo that on Nitro. So. Oh, cool. Thank yeah. God that has such high stakes. Uh, there was a pregame show, which they implied they didn't inform the viewers of the changes. And they're like, by the oh, interview. Yeah. Did they even inform the commentary team? Because it felt like they were kind of flying blind, too. Oh, but Triple Threat Theater is, is now just Billy Kidman doing three matches against the Revolution. Which I love that for him. It's going I to love be, that for me, honestly. It's going to be Kidman versus Dean Malenko in a catch-as-catch-can style match. Catch-as-catch-can. Yes. So my understanding of that is it's basically a, a wrestling match, but you can't leave the ring. So what they said is it's like a dungeon rules match, but there's ropes. Yeah. I, I, maybe I guess I just haven't seen a dungeon rules match. It's not really a match type to my knowledge. That doesn't sound like it'd be something I enjoy. Uh, Kidman versus Perry Saturn in a bunkhouse brawl. And then Kidman versus the mystery partner in a caged heat match. Yes, caged heat. Yes. Not caged teeth like I thought it was at one point. Also, Kidman will be alone because earlier in the night, the revolution took out Conan, which might also be for behind the scenes reasons, but we'll talk about that at the end of the show. Okay. Uh, No Jim Duggan mentioned anywhere here. I mean, maybe he's the mystery partner. Well, we know he's not. But what if he is? Doesn't help make the save, doesn't do shit, and uh, will not be feuding with the Revolution come Nitro. So Because there is no Revolution to well, feud with anymore. Shane Douglas is kind of around. He might still have an injured elbow. He didn't have his brace on, but I don't know, man. He was never really one that I lauded for his in-ring work. The like, two matches of his that we saw. <laughs> Another change they mentioned is that is now going to be a three-way dance as opposed to a singles match that I don't remember them saying was going to be a yeah. thing, but... It's now Crowbar versus David Flair versus Vampiro. They say three-way dance, but it's just a triple threat match. Which is totally just going to turn into a two versus one, because it's two people in the, uh, the same faction against one guy. He seemed fine with that, though. I think it was like... It's it, dumb. I think they said it was his idea, so... That's really... That's extra dumb, then. Well, just have it be a handicap match. Yeah, it basically is. And then we have a, a new match tonight that has no build, and it's heel versus heel, so why the hell are we doing this? It's the Mamelukes versus the Harris Boys. Oh, yay. Yeah, I won't be distracted at all during that match. Thoughts on the set before we get into the actual matches? Honestly, didn't even notice it. Yeah. I, I noticed no changes. This could have been a Nitro set. Like, I, I didn't even realize that there were any changes, if I'm honest. The WCW.com area is back, and I'm wondering, is did that get put back because of a match later? Or did the match later go, hey, that's back, and then do something with it? I don't know. Probably the latter. Let's go to our first match. It is Kidman versus Dean Malenko at a catch-as-catch-can match, which the main rule here is you cannot leave the ring. That is the only rule. Do you see where we're going with this? I have a lot of issues with this match, just off the bat. Dean out-wrestles Kidman to start and then gets him in an arm bar. And then Kidman gets out of it by hitting some punches. And I think one or two of them catch Dean pretty well. like Because Dean rolls out of the ring to gather himself. And that's it. Commentary starts calling the match like, I guess the match is over. But here's where my issues with the match come into play. Because as that happens... So, before I get into this. I have a huge issue with Charles Robinson. This. He's, he's the ref. And like... A spot that I always get frustrated by is when they have like a punch spot in the corners, when two wrestlers are punching each other in the corners, the referee immediately gets in between them. Like immediately. It's you're in the corner, throw one punch. Ah, stop it. Get in between the two of them. Like fucking back off. 
Like, let it happen for a second. If it gets out of hand, then step in. But if you're sticking yourself in between the two wrestlers at the onset of the punch spot, you're fucking it up for everybody. I'm not here to watch you. I'm here to watch the wrestlers get out of the way. I digress. So <laughs> Dean rolls out of the ring and Charles Robinson looks at Dean. He's like, hey, man, you got to get back in the ring. We got to keep this match going, dude. You got to get back in the ring, whatever. And Billy is just in the ring looking at Dean like, dude, what the fuck did you just do? I wonder if Charles Robinson legitimately didn't know about that role because just like... That's a huge problem if he didn't know that. Well, this is not a common match type to where to be expected. So if they did, if someone didn't tell him... Right. It's not a common match type. So if you're a good fucking referee, you recognize that it's a different match type and say, hey, what are the rules that I need to know about? I'm not giving him any grace on this. Right. Absolute zero. No. So Dean kind of comes back to the ring. Billy's looking at him like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? So he rolls back in the ring. All the while, commentary is like, no, the match is over. He rolled out of the ring. It's over. And Charles Robinson's just like, all right, guys, let's keep going. And Billy starts yelling at Dean. And Dean starts getting heated. And there's just a whole lot of yelling in the ring. And nobody knows what's going on. Billy's pissed that Dean fucked up the match. Dean's pissed that he fucked up the match. Charles Robinson still doesn't know what the fuck is going on because he's trying to call for like, okay, guys, get back to it. Meanwhile, somebody, I guess, is in his ear being like, no, the fucking match is over. Call for the bell. Yeah, Dean gets back in the ring and then it's like, no, actually, you lost. So everybody's just angry and yelling at each other and just pissed off in the ring. Yeah. Oh, it was such a mess. So Billy Kidman wins. Both men look devastated on the on their walk back. Like, literally, like, yeah. verge of, like, verge of tears. Dean especially looks really upset. Billy just looks pissed. Yeah. And it may go without saying, but this is a shoot accident and not yeah. terrible booking. It's just a lot of miscommunication. I yeah. mean, this is clearly a match that came together in the last 20 minutes. They didn't know that these two yeah. were happening. Like, they didn't know this match was happening. So there was a very little time for, like, rule clarification, I guess. Oh, man. Yeah. But uh, that's it for Dean Malenko. Jesus. Not, not a great way to go out. No, to say the least. Not a great way. And they tried with him, but that's kind of how you maybe describe the last year of Dean Blanco as well, because he just mostly did tag feuds with Benoit and then kind of feuded against Benoit for a little bit. Like, we are not seeing the peak of Dean Blanco here. So I have an issue with Dean that I have with a lot of wrestlers. Bret Hart comes to mind. Um, I can recognize that Dean Malenko is a talented wrestler. I recognize that he is a technically sound wrestler. He is good at what he does. He does what he does well. Like, he can put on a good match. He is boring to watch from an entertainment standpoint. And I know I'm in the minority there when I say that Dean Malenko is boring to watch. I think it with, D with Bret Hart, too. Like, you are technically good, and I know that you're great, but I don't find you interesting to watch. I don't know that I would say you're in the minority. Like, pe people... Really? We just watched NXT, and I think there was a line about like, "Oh, Daniel Bryan is like the, like the love child of Dean Malenko and Lance Storm if they got if they got a charisma bypass." Mm, did they actually say that Something on NXT? Like that, oh, I yeah. missed that line because it's true. Lance Storm has the exact same problem, but the difference: Dean Malenko on the mic, impossible. It's it's never gonna happen. Like it's he does not have the charisma for mic work, and he never has, and it just does not work. I think it, I disagree. I think it has worked, but <sighs> it's worked when it's been mirroring his real feelings. Like, sure. Like when, when he was, you know, when they were feuding with the four horsemen, I believe him when he feels held down. Sure. I don't believe him in the revolution. 
Or at least the anti-America I, revolution. Even so, like, the horseman stuff, like, I agree with you. Like, it is more believable when it's real. But part of wrestling is supposed to be, like, how well can you convey a character? And he can't do that. He can he can be himself, yeah. which is, you know, valuable in itself. But it's not, it's just not good for, like, longevity. Like, no. what if everything's great and hunky-dory backstage? You still have to come out and put on a show and have a conflict. Yeah, he, he needed a mouthpiece. And he did. They, they kind of tried that with Shane Douglas. And I think Shane, Shane Douglas being Shane Douglas just had us get tired of that. Shane Douglas was just repetitive. Like, yeah, yeah. he was way better on the mic. Yeah. This, but he just said the same thing over and over and over and over this again. This stinking Shane Douglas. Because yeah. I can't say the F word because we're on basic cable. This gosh darn man. I am going to miss the hell out of Dean Malenko. I love that man. We, I know you I do. say a lot that I wish he wasn't so good so he'd be, he could be in the boy stable. Oh, I know. He'd be the king of your boy stable. He's the king of the boy stable in your heart. Yeah. He owns the stable. <laughs> Is the stable in the backyard of the dungeon of Dune? We're not. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Yeah, as with all these guys, there's going to be a giant talent hole left when when he when he's gone, and and of, out of the four radicals, he by far has the least memorable WWE career. True, yeah, because he's done pretty quick, right? I he leaves with a whimper. That's the other thing. Like, oh, to my memory, he doesn't really have a retirement match. Like he, the radicals break up, and then they like get back together without Benoit when Dean's like kind of retired, and I like I can't think of a last thing he does there. Mm. The only thing I think of is uh, him being a perv and wanting to date Lita. And granted, there was a great moment because they're on national television. Of uh, They're on a date and Lita goes, what's your wife think about all this? <laughs> oh, yeah, that is a good moment. Uh, and I found out in my research that apparently he is Jewish. Oh, well, I am. Yeah. So commentary has to uh, stall for a little bit after that. A little bit. That match clearly had to go longer. That definitely had like five to ten minutes left on it. Because we throw to a clip from Thunder involving David Flair, Crowbar, and Vampiro. Then we get the full video package. Then we get a Vampiro interview with Scott Hudson. He doesn't say much in note, but he's uh, interrupted by Masahiro Chono. Which, should we know who he is? At this point, anybody who shows up, I'm taking them at face value. Because, admittedly, last week, like, look at all these legends, and they didn't do shit for that. So I'm like, you know, I'm not giving the show better than the doubt anymore. That's fair. That is fair. He interrupts, and um, he only speaks in Japanese, so I didn't make out a word of this. You don't speak Japanese? Apparently not. Oh, wow. Uncultured I know. News to me, too. (laughs) Typical Americans. We don't speak any other language. Typical. We then get Gene interviewing the crazies, because they be crazy. They do be unhinged. That's the whole thing. Rutherford be crazy. (laughs) I don't know who's to blame for this. They need more direction. They were just given a character type and were told, go. And they've kind of run the gauntlet of that. Yeah. and They've done all they can do with those those just like single directions. Yeah, they need more. So our next match is David Flair versus Crowbar versus Vampiro in a three-way dance, triple threat, whatever you want to call it match. Three people are in the ring. They're wrestling. Vampiro starts hot and the tag champs try to team up. David rolls out of the ring so the real wrestlers can have a match. Yeah, I was actually really impressed with Crowbar in this match. I mean, they put him with David to have a real wrestler with David. What do you mean? David was doing so well. Yeah. That's what kills me. Like, he was. He was doing well. He had he a time where, okay. like, the training was, was like, 
this was sitting in. Like he was starting to actually learn things. It was it was starting to catch. And then he just regressed so hard, so fast. I hate to invoke Steve Austin here, but it, it's very much the case of you can see him run those ropes and you know. Yeah. You, usually Steve Austin's saying that as a positive, but uh, here it's the opposite. Yeah. As mentioned before, he's Ricky Bobby. He's like, I don't know what to do with my hands. It's true. It is true. We had Northern Lights Supex from Crowbar with a bridge. David's just watching for a good amount of this match. There's a thing that people hate in triple threat matches where it's like, oh, this person gets knocked out of the ring, so the two can just have a one-on-one match. David is highlighting that. Well, it does kind of work for them, though, because the two of them are in a tag team together. It's kind of like, it, it, this is basically a handicap match. Yeah. Vampire hits a suicide dive to Crowbar and then no-sells some of David Flair's chops. Which, I mean, you made the case of like, oh, David's not good, that's why the chops didn't work. But Vampire has an attitude problem in this match. It, he has an attitude problem, period. Yeah. I think that that's what held him back so much. Because, like, I do like Vampiro. Yeah, there's there's a match recently in 2023 um, down in Mexico where he's he's still wrestling occasionally. And there's a spot in this match. I have to show it to you later. I think I even told you about it previously. Where he just hits a point in the match where he hits he's hit a wall and he goes, no, I'm done. I'm done for a little bit. Mm. Oh, you and, did tell me about this. Yeah, yes. and just the face he makes during that, and obviously the body language and all that, is identical to the face here. Just that like smug, like, no, I'm better than this, so what yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, man has an attitude problem. And he's not good enough to have that kind of attitude problem. No. I like him in, in ring. I like his in-ring work. But he's not good enough yeah. to pull that shit. If ever hits a diving spin kick, as they all just slap each other's chests, David ends up getting the worst of this, it looks like, based on the uh, based it, on the, the, the post-match. You can see the... Uh, yeah, the aftermath. It's no Gunther, McIntyre, and Sheamus, but... God. So this is actually where we get the uh, the Vampiro smug look to the camera. Like, what the fuck are these oh, guys yeah. doing? Because they're on the outside waiting for Vampiro to do something. Like, they're kind of doing, like, the hold each other... The admittedly inauthentic looking thing where it's like, let's just all bundle up. That way it's safe for the guy who's going to be doing a diving yep. move. And Pierre just does a baseball slide instead. It's like, oh, wow, the most boring thing he could have done. Great. Yep. This is where Nick checked out for this match, I think. This is this is where it really lost him. Crowbar hits a somersault plancha to the floor onto both men and they brawl around ringside, including a diving splash from Crowbar to Vampiro from the apron. David hits chops and then can't even get thrown out of the ring correctly. He like stumble, <laughs> he gets caught up on the ropes. God. Crowbar gets caught going up top and then gets hit with a massive superplex by Vampiro. Mm-mm. And again, David is just watching. Yeah. And he's, I just, get... he's, just, he's waiting for his cue. He's like in the wings waiting for them to say the right line so he can come out. Admittedly, as much as I love her, I need to give a little bit of shit to Daphne then for that. Cause like, yeah, she kind of does that too. Well, she's not an active participant in this match. Mm. But like, he's like standing right next to her. Like, she should turn to him and be like, hey, like, look like we're strategizing or mm. something. You know, make out a little bit or something. We don't want that. Uh, they that that would not work. Um, they no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what don't they like each other? I really can't tell. They don't have chemistry. They're definitely not doing anything backstage. That's for damn sure. I know there is going to be a point where David Flair, while still paired with Daphne, is going to cut a promo bragging about his long-legged blonde girlfriend. Daphne is not long-legged no. nor blonde. <laughs> no, she is not. Remember when he was dating Tori Wilson? No, Stacy. I know, but just remember when he was dating Tori? Oh, in kayfabe. Yeah. Sorry, no, because he shoot dates Stacy. How the fuck? <laughs> George Clooney, David Flair. <laughs> How the fuck did that happen? What 
is that man packing? <laughs> we get replays of some of the moves. Basically, he's li- just really funny. <laughs> we get replays making the, the live action really hard to see. Vampiro tries for a Billy Kidman powerbomb counter, but Crowbar like doesn't go down all the way and looks really bad. And then, speaking to uh, the unprofessionalism, Vampiro hits a back suplex and just drops David around his fucking neck. Yeah, that one looked like it hurt. Like, you're, trying to do, you're trying to join the fucking Steiner brothers with that suplex. Oofta. Jesus. Oofta, oofta, oofta. David gets Vampiro in the figure four and Crowbar tries to steal the pin in a little sneaky spot I liked. Yeah, this is where the dissension starts. Yeah, they start fighting... They fight each other to get the pin, while Vampiro's just like, guys, what the Daphne fuck tries to break it up, and they barely kiss. They they kiss in the same way that John Cena would hit a springboard stunner, big the, ah, didn't get all of it. Their kiss is very reminiscent of, like, middle schoolers having their very first kiss ever. Yeah. You know? They played spin the Vampiro. It literally, it was spin the bottle. It was just like... I'm going to kiss you. Oh, I kissed her. Like, that's that's the energy that they're bringing to these kisses. And it doesn't get better. Yeah. So David accidentally collides with Daphne. And she doesn't sell it properly. For a second, I thought you were still talking about the kiss. She no. accidentally <laughs> collides with Daphne. <laughs> I mean, no, she, she gets, like, squished in the corner and then slowly, like, climbs out of the ring <laughs> onto the apron to watch Vampire hit a nail in the coffin on David and pin him. Like, right in front of her. Yep. Like, it she was could really have easily weird. interfered and yeah. she just didn't. This was <laughs> fucking dreadful. That was really bad. Ugh. Oh, I just keep I feel like I described that. a good match. It was not. It was just, it was very lackluster. It was very confusing. Vampiro's heart very clearly not being in it did not help. Part of me feels bad for Vampiro, but also he's an asshole. So I'm like, because ah. he was given a pretty shitty feud to deal with. And he no, didn't do no, anything himself with it. What did he have to do that was so bad other than wrestle David Flair? I mean, that's a, that's a punishment. But no, itself. he wasn't made to look like an asshole. He wasn't made to do anything embarrassing. Did he abduct a woman? No, Jeff Jarrett did that. Oh. Yeah, like, <laughs> Vampiro's just having a fucking moan. Well, yeah. But again, he's wrestling David Flair. And Crowbar. Ugh. Yeah, they, um, they're still tag champions for now. We'll see. Uh, see how long that lasts. Yeah. Backstage, Buff Bagwell arrives. Thank God. I was wondering when he'd get here. We then get Mean Gene interviewing the now-named Mamelukes. Now they're still the goons in my heart. And in my notes. <laughs> Vito says that the new tiger's on the block. and um, Were there old tigers on the block? Why are there tigers on your block? Uh, Do you live Scott, in the zoo? Ask Scott Snyder. <laughs> so I'm still so excited for that. God. Tony Marinara says that he's like, all right, I got to go. But Disco, like, help them win the match. And Disco has to act befuddled at, like, outside interference. What do you expect me to do? <laughs> yeah. They, disco. <laughs> you know exactly what they expect you to do. You've done it before. hundred times. Which leads us into the Harris Boys with two S's versus Big Vito and Johnny the Bull with Disco Inferno. I was incredibly distracted in this match. <sighs> Emily, w- would it help if I told you? That they were dead? That Johnny the Bull goes on to wrestle as Relic, and I don't know if you're aware of this, <laughs> but Relic is killer spell backwards. You know what's sad? <laughs> I actually forgot. I actually forgot that he was Relic. <laughs> oh, God. It's that goldfish brain. It only remembers the things that'll put, like, the things that I need. I don't need to fucking know that Johnny the Bull is Relic, but I will always remember that Relic is killer spell backwards, because I'll never fucking forget that. Oh, God. I... Ah! Shit, I, I've i had my, my, my pay-per-view pick for uh, our, no. our, our ones, for our episodes, like post-episode 100. 
And shit, now I might need to do a TNA one that has Relic so I can... I can... You do something fucky, I'm doing something fucky. Oh, I'm doing something fucky, absolutely. Oh, I'm doing something fucky then. I'm going to that aircraft carrier. You don't want to watch that. Maybe I do. <laughs> In your own words, I've seen it seven times. It's so fucking boring. It is so fucking boring. You've not even actually watched it. I've watched the Yokozuna match on the aircraft carrier. I mean, the whole thing is trying to slam Yokozuna. That's it. It's the whole thing. Oh, yeah, it's a slam competition. It is boring, yes. Yeah. So the match starts. We get big power moves, and they go straight to the corner. Uh, there was one really killer portion of the commentary for this where um, Tony mentions, oh, how do you tell those two boys apart? The gotta, Harris boys. You got to focus on the tattoos. Yeah, you got to. You can tell them apart by their tattoos. Bring focus to the tattoos, Tony. Great idea. Let's look at those tattoos. Let's really analyze those tattoos. Let's look at it. I did find a lukewarm defense of the tattoos. Ew, what? Why? Ew. And this is not an excuse. The short version is that they got the tattoos when they were doing a biker gimmick, which I don't That's even... still which, bad. Which one, I don't think is accurate. But biker gimmicks basically have a lot of neo-Nazi inspirations to the point that, where that, to the point where they've kind of forgotten the origin of them. It's, I don't think that's good enough. It's kind of like how Triple H has the Iron Cross as a, for a lot of his that's merch. That's also a bad thing. Yes, it's but not the good. SS is incredibly worse. Yes. However, I'm pretty sure they got the tattoos before the Mugger Gimmicks, so I don't even think that's you, a workable You can't defense. pull ignorance with that. I think, I, if you, no. I think if I look up Jacob and Eli Blue, I think they have the tattoos. You then. can't pull ignorance with that. Yeah. That's bullshit. Lukewarm. That's more of an ice cold reasoning. <laughs> Okay, I look up Jacob and Eli Blue, the first photo. They have no other tattoos other than the fucking SS one. Oh, cool. Love that. <laughs> and this so they is when knew the, exactly what the fuck they were doing. And this is when they're like Hicks and not the biker gimmick. So, yeah. But they knew exactly what the fuck they were doing. We had a spinning back kick from Johnny the Bull and then some good double team action from the Mamelukes. Get a weird thrusting elbow drop from Vito. I didn't notice the thrust, but... It was pretty blatant. Oh, okay. I, I was distracted, man. And... Jeez, I thought he was fucking distracted. Johnny the Bull. He <laughs> he's just, all the tattoos. He does not know what to do in the ring. Like no, he, he he's doesn't. real bad in this match. He, yeah, it was pretty underwhelming. To he watch. comes in, hits punches, and waits to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. Like, he. Oh yeah, there's a lot of chatting in this match. Is this one that like wasn't planned prior to the? I mean, they. The I don't, show starting? I don't know. Maybe I mean, not. It was one that they announced that like wasn't booked before then, but they might have told them like. Maybe this is one that they conceptualized during the pre-show. I don't. And they're know. like, ah, we'll just get out there and we'll wing it, and then they didn't know how to wing it. Yeah, this isn't even like oh, Dean Malenko and and, and Billy Kidman went short. We got to add a match. No. But yeah, he's Johnny Bull just comes in, hits punches, and then shit Wait. tag out. Now what? Oh, God. I, I want to see a cursed tag team of Johnny the Bull and Don't, Stevie Ray. No, I knew what you were going to say <laughs> yeah. as you started to say it. No. Just, it's nothing but tags. Oh, fuck. Big spinning sidewalk slam from Ron Harris. This is where they mentioned the tattoos. Ugh. Low blow to Johnny the Bull. No reaction from the crowd. It's heel versus heel. Like, I think you're meant to be rooting for Disco Inferno in this match. <laughs> That's the only face out here. I don't think that anybody knows what to root for ever. I don't think it's a heel face dynamic thing. I think it's just a what the fuck are we doing here, lads? <sighs> I think you put a lot more weight on the heel face dynamic than the bookers, the writers, the producers do. Well, Maybe think, rightfully so. I think that's fine because I think the crowd cares. The crowd wants to cheer people, but no one here, as I said, are you going to root for the offensive stereotype or are you going to root for the Mamelukes? 
know. I think I would root for the Mamelukes just because they have like more charming on character personas. They're yeah. like, fun to watch. They did try to murder multiple people in the last month for what it's worth. Yeah, but then they got covered in marinara sauce and it was funny. <laughs> they tried to murder after that too, by the way. Yeah, but then they got like... They, well, Vito was just trying to open his grilled cheese sandwich factory. No, that Who's was... not going to root for it was trying to the pole, wasn't it? One of them. Yeah. Who's not going to root for that? That's the American dream. <laughs> yes. I'm aware the Mama Lukes are, are faces in our hearts, but... <laughs> The way they're presented is as heels. Man just wants to have a sandwich. This match goes for a fucking while, man. In inarguably too long. I wouldn't even say arguably too long. No, it, this match does go way Honestly, too long. Honestly, I don't even think it went that long. I just think that it dragged. I I checked out at this point. The, yeah, same. I have like three bullet I points. I usually we've already talked about them. Like keep trying to take you notes. You do. You're good. I'm like, nope. I I checked out. Harris boys go for a spike pile driver, but Vito stops them. I mean, a spot of Vito climbing up to the top rope and Disco pushes Vito off the top rope trying to sabotage him, but he lands on Don Harris and Vito gets the pin. And they did a spot in wrestling that I hate. Mm. Johnny the Bull basically hits a diving crossbody and pins Don Harris. Don Harris acts like this is some fluke win, like a schoolboy pin or just like he snuck up on him. He had a diving splash and won. It was just a weird reaction to it. That's how he got pinned. That's dumb. He acted like he got rolled up and someone like used the tights like oh my god like a, like a travesty of justice like no oh, this you lost. Ugh. What would he know about a travesty of justice? Yeah, yeah. This match was uninteresting, distracting. Didn't serve a purpose other did than not, killing um, time. Which did not um, move either group's stories forward. Which I had this thought after watching the pay per view during the Vince Russo kind of send off for mm. round one. I said yeah you know. Pretty much all the matches during the Vince Russo tenure had a purpose. Mm-hmm. It wasn't always the most productive purpose, but they had a purpose. Sure. We're the first show without him, and I present to you a fucking purposeless match. I remember there being a lot of purposeless matches prior to him as well. Yes. And, Prince um, Ikea versus Norman Smiley comes to mind. Yeah. What the fuck was happening there? Ooh, I might lose Emily during this next, uh, next one. <laughs> Backstage, Spice and Medusa have a chat. Medusa's not happy. And we're going to go to Oklahoma versus Medusa for the cruiserweight title. Mm. Oklahoma comes out wearing the title mm. and grabs a mic and uh, cuts his sexist promo. Mm-hmm. Emily, what should women be? Barefoot and pregnant. Good uh, Jeff Jarrett impression. Thank you. He says he's not an athlete, but he's a man and insults the, insults the women of Cincinnati. I'd like to reiterate what I said last episode. I'm aware. Have you seen the women on this roster? So his entire point with this promo is that it doesn't matter that I'm not a wrestler. As a man, I can beat any woman wrestler. I'd like to point your attention to Midnight or Asia's thighs. Really? Can you point me to Stacy's thighs or Tori's? Either one. Honestly, I think Stacy could even take him out because she would like scissor kick him and that would be it. Like those, (laughs) those legs... I do have one line in this because I just... I was just writing down my rage during this match. I wasn't paying attention to it. And... To add to it, I knew the result of this match, and I I was fully anticipating, we're done watching for the night after this match. (laughs) You were correct. Kind of. You were close. I'm just sad that we are past the the era in this show of hitting people with cars. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're not, by the way. Enjoy that. At this time, we are. I have a great candidate that would look wonderful under a set of front tires. (laughs) The man would roll over a windshield impeccably. Someone find a Hummer. So, Oklahoma says he's going to send Medusa back to the kitchen. 
and um, <laughs> to poison him. <laughs> God, I hope. I'm sorry. I'm feeling murderous. Yeah. I'm sure this guy's fine as a person, in but a, he's really good as a as a heel character. I'm sure he's a fine person. In a really dumb move, Medusa comes out to the ring wearing a football jersey. They're in Cincinnati. She's wearing a Buccaneers jersey for somebody who left the team to go join the Buccaneers. Yeah, was this like a heel move? No. Yeah, I didn't really understand. No, because she's like, "Hey, it's it's your guy." It's like, was no. she just like trying to find a a jersey that had that guy's name on and didn't realize it was the wrong team. I don't fucking know, man. No. But yeah, it was just like, it, Sports it's, ball. it's your guy. Like, no, he left. He was our guy. But he'd be like wearing a Baltimore Colts jersey and be like, hey, you know. We're from here. You know these people. Go fuck yourself. Don't talk about them. Medusa hits kicks to start the match, then it's thrown around by her hair. And uh, Oklahoma's like immediately gassed. Which I think was story because he managed to like she run around after that. But I did, I did like the story note of like, hey, he's not a wrestler, so he did like two things. Like, oh fuck, I'm yeah. out of shape. Yeah, it's almost like it's difficult. Medusa accidentally headbutts Oklahoma on the groin and then hits second rope drop kicks. The first one of which she was feeling real cagey about. Do you notice this? No. She like like almost was like grabbing the top rope on her way down. Like ah, uh. second oh. one she had fine. I don't. It was so weird. I don't know. I did not notice that. She then throws Oklahoma into the ropes, goes for a drop kick, and he stays up against the rope, so she misses it. And like Jesus, she fucking like dies after that. Like just oh, I missed the drop kick. Now I I I can't move. Ugh. Oklahoma hits a DDT and goes for the barbecue sauce, but Spice stops him. <laughs> Good on you, Spice. You gotta protect my girl. You know what it was? She saw the barbecue sauce was uh, mild. I was like, I think you need a little spice in this. Shut up. Go away. Asia then comes out to make the save. Good. That's fine. She can also gang up on Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, girl power. Girl power. Oklahoma rolls up Medusa, grabs his tights, and wins. I fucking hate it. I fucking hate wrestling. Yeah. I give up. The three the three women pour barbecue sauce on Oklahoma post-match. In like a, who's the real winner, brother? Oklahoma. He has the title. He has the title. He wins. It's so hard to be a wrestling fan, Nick. As a woman, it is so difficult to be a wrestling fan. We get so little. <sighs> Emily, I'm going to flat out tell you, Medusa does not win the title back from him. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I don't even know what she does next, but he's going to lose the belt tomorrow night. <laughs> not to Medusa. I'm, I mean, I'm not surprised. It was kind of a fluke that she had it anyway, because it's not a women's title, but whatever. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's... Whatever. Unfortunately, it's one of those things where people talk about, like, Oh, she was the first woman to hold the cruiserweight title. What did she do with it? Yelled like, at the men. Kind of ends up shitty when you have somebody just like tick a box of like, oh, we hit this milestone, and then you don't know what to do. Yeah, it's kind of the Rey Mysterio problem. The Rey Mysterio problem. They had him win the world heavyweight ch- championship, and then they went, well, fuck, now what? Mm, and they true. just had him lose, and it's like, yeah, you had this one nice moment, but. Everything after that kind of offset it, but the moment did happen. So you don't really know how to weigh things because. True. Yeah. I guess that's a good point. Yeah. I don't know. This fucking took me out of it. I, I figured. I'm... I fucking hate wrestling. I hate it. Why do I watch it so much? Why am I like saying, oh, we should speed up recording so we can watch the fucking draft? Why? I don't care. This is stupid. I hate everything. Well, you found a way to entertain yourself during our next match. <laughs> Before that match, though, we get Mean Gene interviewing Brian Nobbs. (laughs) Oh, no. Brian Nobbs is the new hardcore champion. 
Uh, Nobbs thanks Finley, but then also says, I'm going to beat Finley into a coma. I'm like, sure. Sure. Why not? Sure. I give up. Tonight, the student becomes the master. I actually didn't hate the promo minus the like. It just didn't make any sense. I didn't. I thought it was a good promo minus the like severity of it. And the (laughs) fact that they don't actually like even fight each other at all during the match. Yeah. Well, I guess that's a good thing. I don't know. So. Emily, do you remember the actual name of this match? For the hard way. F-O-U-R, the hard way. <laughs> the fuck? What? <laughs> it's a four-way hardcore match. Just fucking For call- the hard way. What the fuck is it called? For the hard way. All these men took a Viagra, that's why. Ew. Ew. Can you imagine? We just got swords slapping in the ring. <laughs> Norman Smiley comes out in riot gear. and um... Okay, this is so stupid. <laughs> A young, a young Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, and Roman Reigns take note. Yeah, because they're going to do it better. Because you know what Norman Smiley does when he comes to the ring and the match starts? Immediately discards everything that the riot gear would actually like help with. Emily, give him credit. He pretty much discarded it during the entrance. Yeah, he had a shield. He had a baton. Things that he could have used in the match. It's a hardcore match. You can use these things. Immediately, just, nah, I don't need them. Big Rock stands watching a paper. you like, what the fuck is this? Bro. <laughs> Dishonor. Boss man immediately trying to find out Norman Smiley has a pet. <laughs> Tastes like chicken. God. Nobs hits weapon shots as Norman screams. <laughs> oh, God. I just realized there's a... Uh, we, we were talking about it, then taking Viagra. Brian Nobs. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. I Me- got Nob points. Stop. Nope. <laughs> Meg no sells trash can shots and kicks it into Norman's face. The hills work over Mang, but he's Mang. <laughs> Honestly, he no sells it like like trying to hit Earthquake on a Staraptor. You haven't done that in a while. <laughs> I know, I, it's on the fly. Wow. They roll outside with weapons, and uh, this is where Emily got her fun game for the match. <laughs> so- <laughs> Are you gonna be able to describe this, or do you need me to? <laughs> okay, I think I'm gonna have to. So apparently, it was only for the trash can shots. But every time one of the wrestlers would hit one of the other ones, Emily would just go, bonk. <laughs> they were just, I'm sorry, I'm crying. <laughs> so they were just like throwing trash cans at each other, just like ye- like yeeting them at each other. And they were just crumbling. And no one was really selling it. <laughs> so every time they'd throw one, I'd just go, bonk. <laughs> you were having a blast. <laughs> you know, after the last match, you needed it. I was like, you know what? That's fine. Oh, it was so great. <laughs> Honestly, listeners at home, if you ever need help getting through a hardcore match, sound effects on the weapon shots make it amazing. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. The problem is, like, the, the trash cans were just crumbling and no one yeah. was selling it at all. So no, it was just no, like, they, there's There's no it. cohesion in this match. Like, it's, it's kind of so messy. It's funnily good. It was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. They're trying, but they're not fucking trying, man. Oh, it's not my match of the night or my best bit, but it's an honorable mention just for my own enjoyment. The heels grab a table and run Norman crotch first into the ring post. Finley and Norman brawl into the crowd and then just come back like six seconds later. (sighs) They keep brawling around ringside. The cameras totally miss Brian Nobbs getting thrown through a table. Yeah, we were, like, on the other side of the ring. We see a replay of it later, and it's, like, the most boring way. Just, like, hey, I got thrown. Yeah. Much like those trash cans, that table just crumbled. 
It wasn't even a bonk. Meng tries to pin Brian Nobbs in the ring. Finley pulls Meng off the cover, and then they start fighting up the ramp. Norman sneaks in and tries to pin Brian Nobbs, but he ends up getting hit with the riot shield, and Brian Nobbs pins Norman Smiley, still the hardcore champion. Woo! Post-match, Norman hugs Meng, so Meng throws him out of the ring, and commentary's like, well, you know, like, he didn't murder him, so they, they might actually have a friendship. Interesting choice of words. And um, Finley is happy to celebrate with Nobbs, who threatened to put him into a coma. This was a disorganized mess, but like... Bonk. It, it, it wasn't good, but it wasn't bad. I recommend it. I recommend it only with sound effects, though. Oh, yeah. Let's go to our second match of Triple Threat Theater. It's Kidman versus Perry Saturn in a bunkhouse brawl. During the start of this... The audio mixing is so bad in this company, I literally cannot tell if they're piping in shears or not. That's fair. You get big power moves from Perry Saturn early on. Kidman hits a head scissors, drop kick, and 10-punch spot in the corner. Then then hits a rebound clothesline and goes for Kidman faction, but gets dropped onto the top rope and then, and then springboard clothesline to the floor. Perry drops Kidman on the to- top rope again, and Kidman's shirt gets ripped somewhere around here. Hopefully Emily can get some enjoyment out of the oh, show. Bless that man. I didn't like the noises that were happening. <laughs> This match like was a, a high point for me. Not even just because of his glorious abs. Just it was a good match. I enjoyed this. Yeah, I started kind of reflecting on Perry Saturn during this match, mm. and we in WCW didn't do Perry Saturn a great service at the start of this podcast. Both Perry Saturn and Kidman left Raven's flock at the pr- pay per view before we started. They like never mentioned this. Mm-hmm. Like, both these guys were in a group together. Little over a year ago, and they don't mention that once. And I think like this match is one of the. If we are reflecting, think about where Perry was when we started. Like, yes, he just came off the flock, but think of the quality of matches that he was doing then versus this. Like, this is a match that shows that Perry Saturn can actually be a force in the ring. He actually has the capability and the skill to put on a good, like, entertaining as fuck match. I remember saying at the time, it was like, he has a good moveset. He needs someone in there to help him put together the match. Billy Kim is the perfect person. This was the perfect give and take of a match. They head outside and grab a table, but head back inside before someone goes through it. Saturn hits a big diving elbow and then a belly to belly. Kidman counters a powerbomb and lands on his feet. So Saturn then tries for another one and actually fucking hits it. No face busters. Oh, my God. I forget who was left, but I remember we joked that uh, when all four men hit a powerbomb, Billy Kidman, then they are free to leave. <laughs> I don't know if Chris Benoit did, oh. but I know Dean and Eddie both did. We have so, to figure out if Chris Benoit So did. this might Is be. Is this the fulfillment of the prophecy? It might be. Oh, we have to look back on that. That means we're going to watch a bunch of matches with Chris Benoit and Billy Kidman. How uh, awful. Bummer. That's going to suck. It's going to be a terrible night. Kidman starts to come back and hits Kidman Faction and Sky High. Kidman then gets belly to belly to the floor through the table at ringside, but he, he kicks out upon being thrown back in the ring. And also during that spot, Kidman's head catches the apron. And I'm like, oh yeah, it God. does. Like, there's enough concussions right now. Yeah, Please, let's Billy. not play that game. Saturn goes up top, but Kidman catches him with a scary back body drop from the mm-hmm. top. Powerbomb attempt gets countered into a face buster Woo-hoo! for the win. Woohoo! No shooty star press. But we got the face buster. I also didn't think that Billy was going to win this match. It was it was kind of confusing to me. Yeah, it was unclear if if he loses one of these, does he do the other ones? Yeah, that was that stipulation was not set correctly or yeah. at all, honestly. This was a good match. I wish it had another gear to get great, but... I really liked this match. Yeah. I think this was, like, 
so far the best match of the night. Yeah. 100%. Minus it's, the it, it, it's definitely top three of the night. Um, I can, like, see in my mind's eye the, like, this match going three more minutes and, like, actually, like, getting, getting into, like, a big gear. Star. Yeah. yeah. Where Billy actually hits the shooting star press, mm-hmm. you know, Saturn goes for some of his finishers and... For a last match in WCW, I think this is a good send off for Perry Saturn. Yes, this is a this is a good way to like remember him here. Of everybody who was leaving the night, Perry Saturn had the wildest journey. Yeah, because we were talking about this. We were thinking about like back when he was feuding with Jericho and Ralphus, and he was in chainmail and makeup and dresses. Like you were, there was the the um the dress match where like if. Perry loses. He has to wear a dress for a year. Yeah. Or at least and for 90 days. Apparently. Was it was for 90 days. Yeah. I don't remember. A long time. And that turned into a whole new character for him. He took that dress and he ran with it. And he yeah, started. Sc- scary Saturn. Scary Saturn. Yeah, exactly. He is such an adaptable wrestler. He does not let silly gimmicks or weird storylines hold him back. You even think about him in WWF with fucking Moppy. Like that should have been enough for him to be his downfall. And he he took it in stride. He ran with it, and it's it's impressive. He's the only one of the radicals who actually appeared on our first episode. Really? He wrestled Lodi. Lodi. Yeah, it was just the most random match. But he went from somebody who was just like kind of around to actually being put in stories. He teamed with Raven for a little bit. And was he involved in the Chavo's horse storyline? No. I don't remember the name of the horse. Pepe. Pepe. No, we just drew comparisons to him with Moppy. Moppy. Yeah, I do think it's weird that towards the end of his run, they started giving him a pseudo "you're welcome" gimmick, like just the dumbass gimmick. Yeah, people shit on the WWE writers for having him do that, have him act like an idiot. But like, I don't know, it was kind of baked in. Oh no, yeah, those seeds were already planted. I'll have to double check this, but I think he's going to be the first person we see wrestle in all three companies mm. on the podcast. Yeah. A well-rounded man. I think you can point to him as a criticism for Dean Malenko. Because Perry Saturn is not a good promo. No. But Perry Saturn was able to get characters over. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And he was he was good in the ring. He had technical form. But he had characterization as well. And that was kind of like what I was thinking with Lance Storm as well when you brought him up. He was a good technical wrestler. And he got a character over on the mic. It's just something that Dean could never quite get. But yeah, I can look back and think of a lot of different characters that Perry had in WCW. Like, and he, it, it worked. He got it over each time. We'll talk about it at the end of the show, but um, Perry was given an interesting offer to stay. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Perry Sadden, another, another person who will, again, be like, we're going to miss all these guys. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see how these holes are filled. Yeah. Or if they're just not. Or if there's not going to be. Yeah. Let's move on. We get Stevie Ray in Ugh. the hood, as they call it. <laughs> okay, w- I've never been to Harlem, New York. I don't think this is Harlem. This can't be Harlem. There's no way this is Harlem. Like, the architecture is what hey, that's me- Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, the buildings aren't crowded. It's not, like, tall buildings. Nothing. It does, like, I, I it, picture I, Harlem kind of similarly to Baltimore with, like, the architecture types. Yeah. This ain't that. I think it's just a shitty area of Cincinnati. Sure, probably. But he loves everybody from there. He won't let Booker forget his roots. I'm pretty sure this is not Harlem. Yeah, you, clearly you forgot your roots because you don't know where you're from. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's turning his back on Booker. I I don't know if it was intentional, but I laughed at the uh, at, at him wearing a Mercedes-Benz hat. Yeah, <laughs> and talking about, like, don't forget your roots. Yeah. yeah, sure, bud. Then we get at the arena, Mean Gene interviewing Stevie Ray. 
Lots of Stevie. Says he's going to teach Booker a lesson, and the lesson's going to hurt Booker more than it's going to hurt him. And then we get our match. Booker T versus Stevie Ray. Mike Tenay has to point out, like, Stevie might be compensating for his own jealousy of Booker. Because, admittedly, it's just making Booker look bad. Because the people there are like, yeah, where's Booker, man? What? But are you saying it makes Stevie look bad? No, it makes Booker look bad. And that's the point. He's the face. He's, <laughs> there should be a thing of Stevie Ray's lying or something. Oh, there there should have been a um like a mirror promo of like Booker kind of going back at Stevie, being yeah. like you're wrong. Yeah, that in that yeah. sense, yes, or you're like, correct. Or like you see Stevie paying off the, the like the, the guys, and like okay. they're all just like just saying that Booker's shitty. Like it okay. just comes off like Booker doesn't care about. Or even like if the camera lingered on one of the guys outside the convenience store, be like, damn, Stevie Ray really turned out like shit, didn't he? Yeah. Like something like that. Another line. Yeah. Yeah. Or like honestly, what they needed to do, as simple as it was. Have Stevie come up and be like, hey, guys, what's up? And someone, and like, as he walks away, someone go, who the fuck is that guy? Yeah, that would have been perfect. Yeah. They just, I see. Yeah. Yeah, they kind of made Booker look like shit here, I thought. Yeah. Booker cuts a promo and he's like, I didn't forget, but now I have midnight, so I don't need you. Like, again. Yeah, that doesn't really work as a face. But he, he's protecting is, a woman. The problem is, Booker T always has good fire in his promo, so he did, I'm willing to, like, kind of like, okay, like, he's still good. And both men come out to the Harlem Heat theme song. <laughs> Interesting choice there. Well, what other song would they have come out to? I don't know. That's that, was, that was the other song. That's the only song. Booker hits a Harlem sidekick early and then a forearm smash. And Stevie hits a clothesline and we get a Rikishi bump from Booker. <laughs> they brawl around ringside, power slam from Stevie, and then a rest hold. And uh, get used to that. Yeah. Booker gets out, but is met with punches to, to keep him down. Simple offering from Stevie right back into a rest hold. And then, uh, then we got a nice close-up of spit on the ropes. So I like Ew, paused the show. Yeah. Here. Oh my god, it was so nasty. Booker gets out of a pedigree attempt, which is known as the slapjack, which is annoying when the weapon shot you use is also a slapjack. Yeah. Booker then hits a spin kick and a scissor kick, then a bookend, and then uh, goes for the pin, and we get Ahmed Johnson running out. Yeah, I did not know who this was. I didn't recognize him right away. At least fifty pounds over the weight we last saw him in WWE. Oh wow. Maybe more. Was he in the Nation of Domination? He, I think maybe for a little bit, he mm. feuded with them a lot. But there was probably a moment where he joined them for like two months and leave. I don't know. Did you know that the Crow Barn and the Dungeon of Doom reside in the Nation of Domination? Within the Nation of Domination. Yeah. Where does the revolution play in here? I'm trying to figure that out. Okay. <laughs> Get back to us on that. Ahmed Johnson comes out to attack Booker for the DQ. Midnight then comes out, but only to watch. Yeah, she doesn't ever get in the ring. Nope. Slapjack pedigree to Booker. And then a tiger bomb from Ahmed Johnson to Booker. Stevie then grabs a mic, taunts Midnight, and hands the mic over to Big T, as he's going to be known, who calls Midnight a fish. Wait, Big T? That's what what they called him. I did not catch that. That's really dumb. Stevie says that they're the new Harlem Heat, and they leave. Cool. Got him. I didn't think this was a bad match. (sighs) It was, it ended flat, but yeah, yeah. it was fine. As far as the Stevie Ray match can go, this wasn't that bad. Yeah. The problem is Stevie Ray didn't do anything per usual. He just, yeah, yeah, it would Booker wrestled around him and then, yeah, this was okay. Like two star match. Yeah. Maybe maybe, one and a half, one and a quarter or one, three quarters. But the, the, the path is clear going forward. I did find it interesting that midnight did not get in the ring because one of the, uh, more famous Ahmed Johnson quotes was talking about China and how he refused to do any sort of feud with her because he said, I ain't going to let no bitch hit me. Oh, okay. So I <laughs> it was not surprised that Midnight did not do anything. Jesus. 
hate men. Yeah. Don't worry, Oklahoma's here. I don't know if you heard me. I hate men. Let's get Mean Gene interviewing Sid Vicious. Since it's at the NWO have tarnished the titles, but he and Benoit will have a hell of a war, implying that, like, oh, you know, we're going to try to revive the company. I do have to laugh at them having Sid talk about that he's going to bring prestige back to the title right before Tank Abbott has a match. God. <laughs> talk about a stinker of a match. It's Tank Abbott versus Jerry Flynn in a shoot fight rules match. Match starts right to the corner. It's immediately sloppy. Flynn gets slammed, so hits kicks and goes for an arm bar. Did you notice that for a shoot match, there seemed to be a lot of wrestling moves? Yeah, they're going for MMA. That's what they're going for. Okay, that that did not come across. I managed to block the arm bar. I'm like, a young Stephanie man takes note for Ronda Rousey later in life. Tank powers him up and slams him and then completely whiffs on two punches, like visibly so, which knock out Jerry Flynn. Whatever. Stupid match. Yeah. Fuck this match. Anyway, moving <sighs> on. I know... Tank Abbott's eventually going to go have some, go on to have some fun, but I need that to happen sooner rather than later. Oh, he sucks right now. Yeah. Vince Rizzo deserves to get fired for saying he should win. Yeah, Tank Abbott can't do shit right now. Yeah, like he, Tank he, Abbott he, is the epitome of a boring as fuck wrestler. He's creator wrestler. He has a really shit move set. I don't like ooh, him. I, I want nothing to do with I him. I found a, a, a new curse, most cursed match. Oh, God. Tank Abbott versus David Flair. That's the blind leading the blind right there. Yeah, you're right. Well, let's go to people who... I just hate one of them. They can actually kind of work. Yeah, these two work really well together. It's DDP versus Buff Bagwell in a last man standing match. We get a video package and I once again have to ask, Emily, what is the stuff? I don't think DDP, is, I, don't, is, I don't think Buff Bagwell knows what the stuff is. Is the stuff and Buff stuff two different things? Because he says I'm the stuff, but then there's also Buff stuff. I really don't. It, I think it depends on the context around the stuff. Like, what is the stuff doing? Or is it just, you know, in, in, in Kevin Nash's terms, I'm the shit, I'm telling you. Because it, it could be his bravado. It could be his body. It could be <laughs> his ejaculations. I Could be it, his dick. That's what I meant by body. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to be PG in any way I could with that. <laughs> yeah, we'll never know. I don't think Buff knows. The world may never know. So I do need to point out, we do the hardcore match, mm-hmm. and then a bunkhouse brawl. Mm-hmm. Then we do a knockout style match, mm-hmm. followed by a last man standing. Because mm-hmm. also, at the end of the last match, they were like, oh, he needs to, you know, he has a like, count of 10 to answer. And then like, no, actually, he just loses. Yeah. Yeah, well. Also, this match was false advertising. They said there'd be no referee. There is a ref. He's just on the floor. Well, it, he's not there like counting DQs. He's there for the the finish. So he's what a last man standing match is? Yeah. <laughs> match starts. The two brawl through the crowd through the hockey team's dugout. I know there's probably an actual name for that, but I don't know what it is. Uh, I knew it at one point in my life. But they they like slip while they're up there. <laughs> it's like really that was awkward. Funny. They both kind of slipped in unison too. It was really yeah. funny. Back in the ring, DDP hits a swing neckbreaker and goes for a diamond cutter, but D- Buff counters and hits a swinging neckbreaker instead. Discus Lariat from DDP and both men fall to the floor. End up brawling over to the WCW.com area. And I'm like, oh, fuck, there's Mark Madden. God damn it. First sighting. The two smash the monitors together like the old big white monitors. And then DDP smashes a keyboard over Buff's back. Buff lays DDP on the announce table and hits an elbow drop from maybe a foot above that. They're like, oh, look at that height. Like, yeah. He didn't really get a lot of air on it. (laughs) So they crash through. DP gets a good cut across his back. It's not quite hardcore Holly levels, but uh, 
No, but he is like gushing blood from what looks like his armpit, but they see like we see the actual gash later. Yeah, I mean, this did not look look like a table meant to be broken. This looks straight from like Ikea. Yeah, which like some could argue are meant to be broken because it's basically just cardboard. But They head towards the ring. We got a low blow from Buff and then a Buff taunt and DDP ends up pulling Buff crotch first into the ring post. And then we get big DDP chants. Like the crowd wants to cheer him. Oh, yeah. Especially when he's fighting here for his wife's honor. Buffett splash, and then both men are down for a count. They get up at nine, and then go down again. And, then get, and back get up, up at nine, nine again. They keep popping up at nine. There is a criticism of last man standing matches where it's like, all right, who? if you love counting a nine, this is the match for you. Yeah. But usually they'll count a couple times before then. They'll be up at like five or six. Yeah, they'll that's kind of what it. I was thinking. Like, nope. Nine, nine every time. Yo, I heard you like nines. DT from Buff, and both men are down for a nine count again. Then get a T-bone suplex. Buff is up at two and signals for the blockbuster and hits DDP when DDP is up. DDP manages to get up, I think, at a count of nine and hits, and hits Buff with the riot baton. Both men get up. DDP, like, really struggles to do so. And I really couldn't tell what happens here because it looks like he manages to fall but grabs Buff to hit a diamond cutter while he falls. Mm. Commentary implies that Buff might have countered it. So I don't really know what happens here, but Kimberly comes out, Buff gets up before the count of 10, DDP doesn't. It was a really sloppy ending. Kimberly also comes out not really like, it was more along the lines of like, I'm going to pick my kid up from being a little fucker than I'm going to go help my husband. She just kind of came out like disappointed looking. Like, I can't believe you guys are doing you this. You could read things on her face. She came out with the most blank expression I've ever seen. She, I, I think she was coming out more disappointed than like happy that her husband is fighting for her. DDP attacks Buff after the bell. Another match of uh, who's the real winner, brother? Yeah. DDP and Kimberly leave and no one can read her face, including commentary. I'm like, that's not good acting then. See, I can read her face. It's the, it's the nuances. Commentary tries to wrap this up and... Uh, this was a pretty good match, but just the the messy execution of yeah, the finish. It wasn't hurting. bad. I liked the energy and I liked the pacing. Yeah. It was, I mean, Buff and DDP put on a good match. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. The ending did kind of ruin it. Them, them trying to act spent hurt whether or not he hit his finisher or not. I mean, I mean, I'm guessing he didn't because why would he hit his finisher and then he not be the one to get up? Mm. Well, let's go to our final of the Triple Threat Theater. It is the Caged Heat Match. Oh, hell is hot. It's just hell in a cell. Caged heat. I was so mad at myself that I'm like, fuck, of course it is. So I have to ask you, which was more disappointing? The first match of this triple threat or this match? (laughs) The first match. I don't know. This one fucking sucked. I didn't hate so much. Oh, I thought this was so lame. It wasn't good, but I didn't hate it. Oh, this was so lame. As soon as they announced who the opponent was, I checked out. Well, it's Kidman versus the mystery opponent. Shane Douglas comes out with the mic, not in a brace, but not in wrestling gear. He says they took out Eddie Guerrero, and I'm like, I don't remember that, but sure. Go off. <laughs> he also says that they haven't forgotten about Duggan. You sure? And uh, Emily, who who's the opponent? It's the wall. That's the wall, brother. Why? I guess he's a heel again. So stupid. As soon as they announce this, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm out. I'm done. This is stupid. Kidman drop kicks the wall to start into the cage and then hits two headshots with with a steel chair. Kidman counters a top rope move with a drop kick and then gets flattened by a big, big boot and they go outside. Kidman's thrown around into the cage and then gets beat down in the ring. 
We get a sunset flip powerbomb from Kidman, but the wall hits a Samoan drop. Wall then goes for a choke slam, but Kid- Kidman counters into a Hurricane Rana. Kidman goes up top for a dive, but the wall catches him midair, hits a choke slam, and gets the pin. Woo. Yeah, this was nothing special, no, but I didn't, I didn't think really it was lame. I didn't think it was bad. It didn't need to be in a cage. It was a no. lame opponent. And all that just for Billy to lose? Yeah. <laughs> you were correct saying this did not need to be no. the cage match. Yeah, no shooting star presses at all tonight. No. Yeah, this was nothing special, and that's unfortunate to round out this trio of matches. Yes, I agree. Now, we're not saying goodbye to him, but that's Shane Douglas gone for like three months. Well, yeah, because he's nothing to do. Well, that's they why don't I don't know la- what to do with him. That's why I laugh at him. Like, yeah, Duggan, I forgot about you. Well, I think Duggan might have forgotten about you. We will see, I believe, a lot more of Shane Douglas. Ugh, that's not exciting. Let's go to our second and last match of the night. It is Terry Funk versus Kevin Nash for the commissionership versus the life of the NWL, who, you know, regrouped less than a month ago. So we get a video package and then Kevin Nash coming out to the Wolfpack theme. Sure. Fucking sure. At this doing, point, sure. You guys are doing great with your branding. Who cares? They start brawling on the ramp and as they trade strikes. Nash hits a few chair shots, but Funk kind of no-sells it and then falls. Is this where he blades? This is, the I think, what's supposed to open him up, but he doesn't quite blade there. Because Nash then jackknife powerbombs Terry Funk through the announce table. Mm, there we go. Also, this table broke like the other one, like the like, like, like an Ikea table. Mm-hmm. And Terry Funk is very clearly blading here. And he blades deep. This shit gets bloody. Yeah. He did have a band-aid, so it was meant to be like reopening something. Mm-hmm. But Kevin Nash gets in the ring, grabs a mic, and says that, that Terry Funk has heart, but no common sense. He then offers, if Terry Funk can climb into the ring, all right, you can keep the commissionership. Funk flops around ring size as... He do be floppy. As Nash just kind of taunts him. Funk climbs in the ring, and you loved Kevin Nash's line, so I'll let you deliver it. I'm a lying son of a bitch. Yep, and then he works Terry Funk over. (laughs) Funk stumbles around, and at one point, he, like... Gets knocked to the floor, but just hangs upside down from the ropes. He's just flopping. <laughs> it was the weirdest spot. I'm like The man what? lost his spine. Shawn Michaels loses his, his smile. Terry Funk loses his spine. <laughs> Two chairs end up in the ring as Nash hits shots to Terry Funk's back, which prompts in-the-face chance. Yeah, I was wondering what that meant. Hit him in the face with a chair. With a chair. Jesus. Jesus. Like, yeah. Terry Funk gets the chair and starts mounting a comeback to some booze. Weird. Yeah, why are we so pro Nash? Can we man. not? DDT on a chair. Nash then hits two chair shots, but Funk won't go down. They then set up a chair bridge of one chair on the left, one chair on the right, and a chair like riding in the middle. Ow. This is screaming ECW right here. Funk gets low blowed and then gets jackknife power bombed through it. Nash wins and is now commissioner. Terry Funk was commissioner for two weeks. He did nothing as commissioner. He didn't even slow down and the you, NWO. And you wonder why Ric Flair said no. Thoughts on this match? There was a really funny moment of Terry Funk yeeting that chair into the ring. Because he like fully Jimmy Hart committed to throwing that <laughs> chair into the ring. And it was beautiful. The match was... Yeah. It was a match. I told it we told an interesting... Told, it, it ended it, a really lame duck story. Yeah. And... Like, Kevin Nash didn't even really need to cheat to win. Like, they just started brawling, and then he just was better. Yeah. But, yeah, this seemed like a means to an end that they wanted to have someone from the NWO be commissioner. It's like, I've seen this film before. Well, speaking of endings, Chris Benoit and Sid get hyped up for their match. And then get Scott Hudson interviewing Arn Anderson. 
Arnold laments that he should have been there for Funk, and he gets really frustrated over tripping over his words because he accidentally says Kevin Mann, and I'm like, yeah, I caught that. Yeah. He foretells the future of doom and gloom with Kevin Nash running the company, but he's happy knowing that like the world title is not going to be with somebody in the NWO, and then it's Michael Buffer time. We haven't seen him in a while. No. Our main event, it's Sid Vicious versus Chris Benoit for the WCW title with Arn Anderson as the special referee. He's like distraught as a referee for this too. Yeah. You know who's not distraught? Sid Vicious. No, this man he is, is happy. fucking stoked it's to like be here. It's like happy Corbin. Just like living life, having a great time. During Michael Buffer's introductions, he uh, he announces Chris Benoit as the master of the crippler. Yeah, what? <laughs> Beg pardon? He's his own keeper. Arn hops in the mic and sets the tone as whoever wins this match, like, leads the opposition against the NWO. Mm-hmm. Like, hell, put over the stakes of this, like, give it an even bigger fight. Yeah, I do appreciate that. Especially with this match having literally no build, so. Yes. Sid takes Benoit to the corners and hits a big back elbow. Then we get Perry Saturn and David Flair coming out to the stage, which is a thing for this match. Like, more guys just end up coming out to watch to try to, like, yeah, put it over as, like, no, this is a big deal. Essentially, the whole roster ends up at the top of the ramp. Which was kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I did appreciate that as a storytelling aspect. Sid hits a big press slam and then a front suplex drop to big Sid chance. Like, the crowd is fully behind him. Mm-hmm. Benmore starts going after the leg, including drop kicking the steps into Sid's knee, which is between the steps and the ring post twice. Benoit rolls Sid back in the ring and locks in a figure four. Sid turns it over, but Benoit manages to keep working over the leg. And this match is not flashy, but it's good psychology. It, and I'm like, it's I, a lot of back and forth. And yeah. it, it got so it got to a point where I'm like, man, if I didn't know this was Benoit's last match, I would not know who wins this. It yeah. was, yeah, I know. <laughs> but it was it was so back and forth. Like no one ever had the upper hand for long. Yeah. And I really I thought that was really cool. I I do wish the leg played more into the match, but yeah, we had hard chops in the corner, and then a good snap suplex from Benoit. And then a rear chin Indian deathlock kind of submission move. We're like, it's a rest hold, but say what you will. It's an interesting rest hold. Yeah, definitely. Like, there are rest holds that can be good. It's just when they overplay them and they hold them for too long when I get yeah. frustrated. For lack of a better term, Sid hulks up. Yes, he does. But Benoit drop kicks the knee to put a stop to that. We had a triple German attempt to Sid, but Sid powers out at one and, and then hits a power slam. Get an ankle lock kind of knee bar looking move from Benoit, but Sid sits up and gets to the ropes, which... Middle, he did not need to set up to do. No. Benoit hits a German suplex and then signals for the diving headbutt. Manages to hit Air Canada, but Sid super powers out of the pin. Like, throws mm. him halfway across the ring. Manages to hit a choke slam, but Benoit has his foot under the rope, so it's so the pin cannot count. Benoit then locks in a crossface, and before R. Anderson can notice Sid's foot under the rope, Sid immediately taps out. Yeah, this is where I was like, wait, what? He's tapping? What? Tapping? New, new WW champion. Chris Benoit. What the fuck? This was done a little bit to like protect Sid, keep potential story going, and a little bit as a precaution. Mm, okay. But uh, new WWE champion, Chris Benoit. Thoughts on this match before we go to the post-match oh, I really enjoyed this match. I thought this was great. This was a good match. Again, like I wish the third gear was longer. Just yeah. like, like you set up what you want to do for the finish and then immediately went into it. It was like, oh, come on. Yeah. Yeah. I thought storytelling-wise, though, I thought this did really like a really effective job. Yeah. Much as we said last week that Bret Hart dragged Kevin Nash kicking and screaming to a good match. Mm-hmm. Chris Benoit dragged Sid to a good match kicking and screaming. Oh, yeah. 
We then go backstage. Mean Gene is here to interview Chris Benoit. Talks a little bit about Benoit's legacy and his road to get here. This is meant to be like the culmination of Benoit's journey toward to a world title. And the end of it. Benoit thanks, congratulates Sid for a hard-fought match. Benoit says he was 11 the first time he went to a wrestling show and saw the Dynamite Kid. He says he proved the doubters wrong, and then Arn Anderson comes in to congratulate Benoit. Nash then comes in to ruin the party. He says at midnight, Chris Benoit's life becomes a living hell, and the note we leave Chris Benoit on is, from the little turd to the big turd, best of luck. Yeah, what? And that's it for Chris Benoit. That's his last line in WCW television. There's a lot to be said about Chris Benoit. Yes. We could do another hour just talking about our conflicted feelings on him. And that is that is the best word because it's conflicting. He is really entertaining to watch as a wrestler. But everything that you watch with him, every praise comes with an asterisk. I think the most clear thing I can say is we'll miss him from the program. But I'm happy he's gone. I'm happy that we don't have to talk about him anymore. Yeah. Because every now and again, it would just creep up on us. Mm-hmm. That, that uncomfortable feeling. The problem that I kept facing was I am not, I don't hide my feelings towards like high flying moves. I love a high flying move. I love a flip. I love a dive. And whenever Chris Benoit would go up to the top of a cage or a ladder and do a move like that, it I would I would sit in awe and be like, oh my God, this is such an amazing move. And then the next thought in my head was like, fuck, he's hitting his head. That that could be it. That could be the one that puts him over the edge. That could be That could be CTE right there. And it's just, it's so hard to actually enjoy a match and really take in the the version of wrestling that I like the best, which is that kind of high flying, without thinking about that. And I think about that with every match now. It's 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 conflicting. That's exactly the right word. And yeah, that's kind of the issue that every yeah. Christmas match carries. Yeah. It's almost frustrating that he is as good as he is yes. in terms of wrestling. Because I hate to, th- hate to insert him in this. If, if someone like Disco Inferno did that, mm. you know, the, the world would kind of just go like, okay, we'll just skip everything with Disco Inferno. Because he's so talented, it's like you, you need to acknowledge his presence. And that's not to say that there are some people out there that think like we can't ignore him because he was the best that there ever is, was ever, whatever. That's not true. There are wrestlers that are better than him. There are wrestlers that... Yeah, you can you cannot watch Chris Benoit's repertoire and you'll be okay. But it's not to say that he is not an incredible wrestler. No, and... We don't need to sit here and laud him for hours. Like, yeah, he was a good wrestler. It, there are other good wrestlers. Yeah, it, I mean, it's kind of like watching a movie with Kevin Spacey or watching yep. a Woody Allen movie. or Yep, or anything produced by Harvey Weinstein, as hard as that is to talk about. He's less present in those. I know, where, yeah. but I just, we watch a lot of movies and we have movie posters around the house and every once in a while, like there are a couple in our house that have his name on it. I'm like, oh, fuck, I hate that. I hate that that's yeah. there. It, it's just, it's always there. Yeah. And it's, it's a cloud. We'll see a little bit more of him when we're doing the WWE ones, but. I don't really think that we need to go on and talk about what he does in the future. No, I think it's pretty it, well known. Yeah, it's well known. I'm not going to miss these awkward feelings. No. I'm not going to miss feeling incredibly guilty for lauding anything that he does. No. I think we would be doing a disservice to this podcast if we did not talk about him. If we made a choice to not talk about any of his matches or any of his storylines when we sat down and started this podcast, I think that it would have been like our show would have been worse off. Oh, agreed. That said, we talked a lot about the men leaving. And we'd like to know 
What happens? Please, tell me the backstage drama. Give me the tea. I do know you love the tea. Spill that tea, sis. I love tea. All right. So this is a very much a multi-step process. Okay. So step one here is Vince Russo books Tank Abbott to win the world title, and they go, no, absolutely not. Get out of here. Kevin Sullivan is then named the lead booker. A Interesting gr- choice. He's been a booker before. It, it actually isn't that crazy. Okay. A group consisting of Chris Benoit, Perry Saturn, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, Shane Douglas, Rey Mysterio, Billy Kidman, Conan, and Juventud Guerrero all ask for their releases. Wow. Benoit is then booked to win the title. They're told, okay, we're not going to fire Kevin Sullivan because, you know, he needs a job and he's worked somewhere. We're just going to have him book WWE Saturday night. And none of you will ever work that, so it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. So Benoit wins the world title. They all show up the next day. Or they're all going to show up the next day. And then the office starts trying to play them against each other. Perry Saturn was told, no, if you stick around, we're going to make you part of the NWO. Billy Kidman is told, like, no, like we want you like in the U.S. title scene. We want to like start like building you up, and they get work, sure. you know working your way up the card. Conan, they're basically like you have a big guaranteed contract. Why would you mess with that? Yeah, there's a, a story. I don't know how true or or not it is of Conan called. I think it was like Bruce Prichard or somebody in WWE, and only referred to himself as K Dog during the call. So they were like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> oh God, Ray and Hoobie and end up staying because they have big contracts it's like like they're It'd be stupid to leave well they're also they're too small for wwf to yeah. do anything with shane douglas kind of alienated everyone in ecw and wwf he's like i still want out but i have nowhere to go <laughs> additionally while they're doing all this everyone is sent home as punishment oh except for chris benoit and billy kidman who i think at this point is gone like you know what i'll stick around okay but benoit they're like no, 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 like, like Nitro centered around you. You're the new champion. So, you know, like, we, we, like we need you. Mm-hmm. Benoit tells them, well, if everyone else is sent home, like, I'm, I'm going to. Yeah. Bill Bush, who has been mentioned a lot, is like, well, if you leave, I'm stripping you the title. Benoit goes, fine. They, they were counting on him being like, no, no, no I no, just I got the title. this. Yeah. Oh, wow. Benoit gives the belt to Nick Patrick and goes home. Damn. Okay. WCW then grants Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, Perry Saturn, and Eddie Guerrero full unconditional releases. Idiot. Dumbass. No. No? Well, Shane Douglas and Conan are offered it as well, but they opt to stay. They took Conan out in the pay-per-view. I don't know when he shows back on the TV. Shane Douglas mm-hmm. will not show up for three months. Douglas kind of recognized the reality of the situation. Additionally, he got left out of the negotiations by the radicals and held a lot of ill will towards Fair. them for that. It's kind of a sad moment when you think about it. They were negotiating and they like didn't tell him. And then they're like, no, we're all we're all here doing this. And he called the hotel that he thought they were at. And the, like the front desk confirmed they were all there. <laughs> Damn. Like, oh, that sucks. Yeah. That hurts. Conan's like, I was just standing by my friends. I didn't actually want to yeah. leave. Damn. So there's a reason for them getting their unconditional releases, which admittedly unconditional is relative they can't disparage nor sue WCW. Okay. Mm. Because they threatened to sue WCW. That's how they got it. Why did they threaten? Do you remember our WrestleMania 24 episode? Goldfish. We had someone appear on that episode um, who was inducting their dad into the Hall of Fame. His name was Mike Graham. Sure. We've mentioned Mike Graham for two things before. 
One is the never drew a dime. Oh, yes. Two was an incident with D'Lo Brown in an airport. <gasps> yes. Where he like insulted D'Lo for paralyzing draws. Yes. Mike Graham has a quick temper. Yes. Mike Graham threatened to slice the throats of anybody who left. Oh, my. So the radicals went to WSWHR and said, There's WSWHR that exists. <laughs> That's a thing. Maybe it was Turner HR. But Maybe. Um, they went, give us our full release or we're going to sue. Wow. And so they did. Wow. They released him. Also, around this time, uh, Vince Rousseau does demand to be released or be head booker with nine months to work with. Doesn't really tie anything here, but I just like noting it. The Radicals will debut on the January 31st, 2000 Raw as guests of Mick Foley in a weird story. And they will wrestle for contracts. I think the following SmackDown in which Eddie Guerrero breaks his arm in his first match. Yeah, that's a heartbreaking moment. (sighs) But just like that, the Radicals are gone. And they are immediately making a difference on the other show. Yeah. Wow. That's, like, impressive. Granted, this takes place over, you know, maybe, like, you know, 11 days. Like, it's not many. It's not long. Yeah. Oh, that's a very short amount of days. <laughs> so. It's like McMahon was waiting. Like, yeah. at the ready. Yeah. Foaming at the mouth. WCW title will be vacated on Nitro. And just to keep a running tally of this. That will be the title change number three for the year 2000. Jesus. We, I know that I know the number gets exponential. I we will, yeah, we'll keep track of that, that as we go. That I know. <sighs> that does overshadow this pay-per-view. Any thoughts on this show? It was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Oh, this was a pretty fucking It was bad pretty show. bad, but I was expecting it to be significantly worse. As good as a couple of matches were, it wasn't even like notably like, oh, you need to go check this out. This could have been a Nitro. Yeah. This did not have any... I've said that for a couple of pay-per-views at this point, but this did not hold any weight as a pay-per-view. Why would I buy this? I can just watch this on Monday. This is the kind of the end of the Russo storyline, so maybe the next show will end up being better, but... Maybe. Yeah, Kevin Nash is commissioner, so I don't know. That's not a high-praising no. bar there. But let's go into best bit, worst bit, and MVP. Emily, what is your best bit? I'm giving it to the uh, Billy Kidman Perry Saturn match. The bowl of best bits was. I feel like thin. there were. I feel like there were three options. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that match enough. Yeah. And you know, I love Billy, and it was a good match. So I'm gonna stick with it. I'm gonna give mine to the main event. That was my second option. Yeah. Because removed from anything, it is Chris Benoit, you know, for the wrong reasons, admittedly, achieving his dream. Yeah. And they kind of try to have that be a nice moment. They try to, they, they managed to give ambiance to a match that was announced two hours ago. Sure. Yeah, that's true. And they did that well. You're right. Emily, what's your worst bit? Oklahoma. <sighs> yeah, we were spoiled a little bit for uh, worst bit. Admittedly, I'm going to give my worst bit. To the first match of the night, Billy Kidman versus really? Dean Blanco, because I feel cheated. That's fair. Yeah, I can, I get that feeling. I, it's me going, fuck me. That match could have been so good. It could have been great. It really could have been great. And that could have been a five star match, <sighs> and a couple miscommunications, and it's done. Honestly, because like, hypothetically, you could have had a moment of uh, of commentary just being like, oh, I'm hearing word that like. You need to be like thrown over the top rope. That's an old WWE rule. Like, mm. 
they didn't try to save it at all or like, yes, you're no, correct. I challenge you again. They just went, nope, that's the match. Like, I feel cheated. That's fair. Yeah. And Emily, who is your MVP? It's probably the same. I, I think it's a pretty, like, unanimous decision. It's Billy Kidman. Yes. Yeah. That man, like, he stood up to the challenge. He stepped up to the plate. He did what needed to be done, and he did it well. Yep. Yeah, that one was easy. In, ca in case of emergency, break glass, and Billy Kidman's hiding behind that glass. Yes. He's hiding behind that glass ceiling. Oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. Oh, Billy. <sighs> but that's going to do it. That's This is a pay-per-view length episode. I know. This is the longest we've recorded in a couple episodes. And it's, uh, you know, we recorded for 20 more minutes and had to redo it. Yeah, if we didn't <laughs> do that one flub, we probably would have gotten to watch the draft on time. Yeah. <laughs> But until the next episode, you can listen to all of our back catalog, including the entire first Vince Russo era on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Butts in the Pod and Facebook, the Butts in the Seats Podcast. Emily, any closing thoughts before we get out of here? This was a hell of a show. Yeah. This is a hell of an episode. Ugh, I feel like out of breath. I'm sure you do. You did a lot of talking. Oh my god. I'm interested. I don't I can't say I'm excited, but I'm interested to see what happens next. Yeah, we're in a little bit of a blind spot for me, yeah. so I don't know what to expect next. Yeah. I'm a little excited, but I am cautious. Exactly. I don't want to say excited. No. Yeah. But until then, I'm Nick. I am Emily. And thanks for listening to the Butts of the Seats podcast. Bye.